Welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jason. So glad you've joined us today. Hope you're having a great day in the Lord. Today, if, if you're new, if this is your first time with us, so glad you're here. Would love to know that you're here. If you let us know that, we'll send you a gift card for coffee. Would love to do that. Today, we're starting a new sermon series. It's also Pentecost Sunday, but today we're starting a new sermon series on the life of David. We're going to be studying David, looking at his life throughout the entire summer. So we're glad you're here. If you'd like to look at sermon discussion questions, you'd like to know how you can grow deeper in your faith, go to Schweitzer.Church next. You'll find a number of ways you can do that. Up next is Stella, and she's going to share with us some things, how we can be connected this week at Schweitzer. Stella is one of our one of our students in our student ministry. We're so glad she's here to share with us. Let's watch and listen to Stella. Hi y'all, I'm Stella and welcome to Schweitzer. We're so glad you're here today. I wanted to let y'all know about some things coming up this next month. Firstly, we're kicking off with our Schweitzer Student Tuesday Lunch Clubs. They're every Tuesday starting June 6th at 11.30. Bring your lunch and come hang out with other students every Tuesday. Parents, if you have middle school students that are already in middle school or they're incoming middle schoolers, you'll want to be sure to sign them up for middle school CIY camp that's happening June 29th through July 2nd. You can sign them up on Church Center and also find out more about student events at schweitzer.church students. On Wednesday night, June 7th, Schweitzer Kids is hosting an R&R night, which means parents get a fun night out and kids have a blast. If you're planning on signing your kids up, you can sign them up at schweitzer.church kids. On Friday, June 23rd, Schweitzer Kids is hosting a Nerf and Nachos night in the gym. We'll be having a blast playing Nerf games and eating nachos all together. All ages are welcome. And if you want to sign up, you can do so at Schweitzer.Church kids. One last reminder, this Thursday, we're hosting a special speaker from the Springfield Cardinals as a part of our second season lunch at 11.30. And then on Friday, June 9th at 7 p.m., it's Schweitzer night at the ballpark. Bring your friends and family for a night full of fireworks, fun, and baseball. Tickets are $10, and you can sign up today at the Blue Booth or online at Schweitzer.Church. Thank you so much for being here today. Now, let's continue with worship. Thank you, Stella. Now, if you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to take a moment, say hello to the people who are also worshiping live with you. You can do that in the chat room. You can wave, you can say hello, a number of other things. And if you like prayer, there's somebody here who would love to pray with you. Always, uh, we've got folks willing to pray with us and alongside of us. Now, as we enter into worship, I want to read just a few lines from the book of Acts. As we've already, already said that today is Pentecost Sunday, and hear these lines as Peter, the Apostle Peter, stands up and he begins to explain what God is doing in the midst of his people. And he's reading from the prophet Joel, and he says this, In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And then he goes on down and he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today let's worship together. Rejoice that God's spirit has been poured out and that God's salvation is open to us. 
Let's enter into worship with great joy. to a time of prayer today, I'd like to lead us in a prayer that, that addresses three different places or three phases. In the first part, the first two, we're going to draw on a reading from Psalm 139. The first piece of the prayer that I'd like to read for, for us, or at least the text from Psalms, 
starts this way. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. As we come to prayer, one of the things we might want to celebrate, we might want to pray into, and in a space of, of solitude, we may just want to say, the Lord sees us, and we, we want to rejoice in that. So kind Father, today we're reminded that you observe us, you see us, and you know us. And so we are glad. And you, friends, what prayers would you have to say out of this text? Pray those to the Lord. Psalm 139 finishes up with these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, we come to the Lord and we ask him, as the psalmist does, to search our hearts, to bring his salvation to the places where we need it today. Friends, take a moment, lift up to the Lord the places where you need the power of God at work in your life. And finally, our third movement in this prayer time, I invite you to pray along with me, this prayer to the Holy Spirit, because as the Lord leads us, leads us as the Lord uh, brings alongside His salvation to us, He also seeks to pour His Holy Spirit into our lives and into the church. So I invite you to pray with me. Come, O Holy Spirit. Come, power of God and tender sweetness of God. Come, you who are both motion and rest, Renew our daring. Be our companion so that we will not feel lonely in this world. Create in us intimacy with God. We do not say any longer, as the prophet said, come from the four winds, as though we did not know where you came from. But we say, come, Spirit, from the pierced sight of Christ on the cross. Come on the breath blowing from the lips of the risen Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. And now join me in praying the prayer Jesus taught us. When we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, today we've come to our time of worship where we we look at, we think about how we respond to God. One of, the, one of the ways we respond to God is through the act of giving, uh, trusting Him with things that He's trusted us with. And so 
our tithes and our offerings, those are those, those elements. You can give today at Church slash give. And we know that when we give, the Lord does some incredible things with giving, with offerings. He, he puts all kinds of ministry. The Lord puts all kinds of ministry into place. And one of those ministries that we want to look at, celebrate, is kids' ministry, where kids, all kinds of kids around Schweitzer, are able to connect with, with Jesus in a real tangible way. And we hear great stories out of the kids' ministry department. Especially we hear kids about saying, not only are we having fun, but learn about Jesus. And we don't want to go home oftentimes. That's one of the things they say. Um, if you want to know what kids' ministry is doing this summer, you can go to schweitzer.church kids. All kinds of things happening over the summer events. So thanks for your support of ministry through the act of giving. And thanks for giving in a way that's worshipful. Um, celebrates and leans into what God's done in your own life. And now we're ready to kick off the summer sermon series on David, a man after God's own heart. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today, we're going to start a brand new series over one of the most important and influential people in the whole Bible, and that is King David. David's story is incredible. There's so much to learn from it. There's ups and downs. There's victories and defeats, and it is just real life. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart, which is a a pretty good description. And as you read his story, you know, there's parts of it, of course, that are a little hard to relate to. David lived 3,000 years ago. He was a king. Um, and yet, at the same time, his story is one of just real life. We're going to read things about overcoming challenges and grief and betrayal and family dysfunction. I mean, if that's not relatable, I don't know what is. We'll, we'll talk about leadership. We'll talk about um, uh, more betrayal. There's, there's failure. There's redemption. There's just all kinds of things that we find in David's story that is just real life. And so as we go through this, you know, what we see as well is that God is faithful to David throughout his life, and we just get to celebrate this um, as we go. So today, as we start the series, uh, we're going to start today, Memorial Day weekend. This is going to go all summer long to Labor Day weekend because there's just so much to learn from David. Um, we're going to start where the Bible introduces King David, and this is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And as we meet David for the very first time, David is a nobody. He's uh, from a nobody family, lives in a nowhere kind of town. He's not the king. He's hasn't faced Goliath yet. No one knows who he is. He's a forgettable, forgettable boy. And yet the Lord sees something in him because that's what God does. He sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And so the Lord is going to raise him up to be the king. But here's how the Bible introduces King David. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, before we go any further, we got we to gotta catch up on some backstory because throughout this series, we are going to talk about King Saul a lot. Uh, king Saul was the, the, the king right before uh, David. He's the first king of Israel. And as king, Saul is a bit of a train wreck. 
I mean, his, his reign as a king, I mean, is just, it's chaotic. He's impulsive. He's a bad leader. Um, and yet on paper, it looks like Saul should have been a great king. He comes from a powerful family. He comes from wealth. He's, he's, he's well connected. Uh, the Bible introduces him. It says that he, he stands head and shoulders above everyone else. So he looks the part of a warrior. So on paper, Saul should have been an incredible king, but in reality, I mean, he's just a disaster. Chaotic, selfish, impulsive leader. Um, and so Samuel is rightly grieving that, that this king is, is, um, is, is just dysfunctional. And he's, he's grieving this because as a good leader himself, Samuel understands that this is hurting the people of Israel. And Samuel, as the prophet of the Lord, also probably feels somewhat responsible because this bad leader of King Saul had happened on his watch. And so um, he's grieving about this. And so the Lord says to Samuel, it's time to stop grieving. It's time to move forward. It's time to, to have a future here. And I'm going to send you to Jesse of Bethlehem. And Samuel had to hear that and think to himself, who now? Jesse, did you say? Never, never heard of Jesse. Because while Saul comes from this really powerful, wealthy, connected family, David, his father, Jesse, these are nobodies. Nowhere town, nobody family, no one knows them. They're not wealthy and well-connected. This is not who this family is. And so Samuel's um, sent there, and here's how it goes. Verse 2, so Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears about it because he's a train wreck? He'll kill me. So the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. To anoint is to, to set apart, and so you're going to set someone apart for this new king. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, which is a, a backwater kind of town, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked, do you come in peace? Because after all, Samuel, he kind of works with Saul, so this isn't good. Verse 5, Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the oldest son of Jesse, the firstborn, the leader. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. And then listen to this next line. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want to read that one more time. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So then Jesse called Abinadab to have him pass in front of Samuel, the second oldest son. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, and he's, he's tending the sheep. Now, if you've lost track, this means that David is the eighth son of Jesse. And he's so far out of the range of possibilities for leadership that no one even thought to invite him to the party. But of course, in the Bible, there's a long tradition where the um, Lord chooses the uh, younger to have a place of honor over the older. And as myself, the youngest of three children, I find this theme to be incredibly interesting in the Bible. But you think about how often this happens in the Bible. You see this over and over where the Lord chooses the younger to have this place of honor over the older. It's Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. It's, 
It's Isaac over Ishmael. It's Esau over Jacob. It's it's Joseph over all of his brothers, Reuben, Gad, Simeon, Issachar, uh, Judah, all those brothers. It's, it's even Moses over Aaron. Aaron was the oldest. And so there's this long history, this big theme in the Bible where, where you look at it and you think it's going to go this way, but the Lord sees something we don't see and it ends up going this way because the Lord has this, this other plans that, that we can't see. So Samuel said, okay, send for him and we're not going to sit down until he arrives. And so verse 12, so he sent for him. And had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And so while the Lord looks at the heart, David also turns out as good looking. So that, you know, helps too. Verse, uh, keep reading here. This says, the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one, the eighth son of Jesse. He's going to be king. So the Samuel took uh, the horn of oil and anointed him, set, set him apart to be king. And he anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, this anointing of this new king, it's going to remain a secret for a, a long, long time. But when you consider um, this, the character of God and how he chooses, chooses David, this, this unlikely king, it's, it's, it's no wonder that when the Messiah comes, who is, of course, the descendant of David, that when he comes, his message is going to be one that upsets all of our expectations of the way things should be. Because the Messiah is going to say things like, it's the first who are going to be last, and the last who are going to be first. If you want to exalt yourself, uh, you'll be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it, but if you lose your life, you're going to save it. And the, and the Messiah is going to have this ministry and spend time with people who you know, are on the outside. Not the powerful, but he's going to spend time with the sick and the hurting, and he's going to bring healing to them. And He's going to spend time with those that, that society and everyone else has had eyes to just to discount. And, and so it's no wonder that, that when the Messiah comes, this son of David, this descendant of David, he's also born in Bethlehem, a backwater town. And it's no wonder that Jesus, the Messiah, is also like David and that he is a king that you would never expect to be king because he doesn't come in that kind of way. But Jesus, of course, is not just the king of Israel. He's the king of all kings, upsetting all of these expectations just like David. In fact, Isaiah the prophet will, will talk about this coming Messiah and listen to how Isaiah the prophet describes the work that this Messiah is going to do and what he's going to be like. This is Isaiah 52. It says, he had no beauty. The Messiah had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. I mean, certainly this is not what you would expect to hear about the king of all kings, is it? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about this upside down kind of nature of the kingdom of God that goes against our expectations. And Paul writes this, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. This, Paul's describing, is David. This is Jesus. This is you. This is 
me. This is how the kingdom of God works. It's not the way that you think it's going to be. It's, it's this other kind of dynamic because God sees things differently than we do. And so therefore, if we're going to live into the kingdom of God, we have to develop eyes to see things like, like God does, to, to live according to how the kingdom operates instead of how the world operates, because these two things are operating on very, very different levels. The uh, great author, Philip Yancey, he tells the story of a, of a time that he and his wife, Janet, visited a hospital in Nepal called Green Pastures Hospital. And this was a, a hospital that worked off donations and it specialized in, in ministry and health and healing to those who are suffering from leprosy, which in the Western world is a treatable disease, but in places of poverty and lack of medicine, this is a disease that still takes its toll. And so they were going through this hospital and, and having a tour of, of these facilities. And, and as Philip and, and Janet walked through the courtyard, Philip says that he saw one of the most ugly human beings that he's ever seen. Those are like, that's how he describes it. And so he describes this woman who's, who's there and, uh, She's been a, a, afflicted with leprosy. She has lost some of her, her limbs. She said, he says she, she has stumps for her feet. She, her hands are all bandaged up. She has sores all over her body. Her eyes have been calloused over with, with the scars of leprosy. He, she, he says her face is one of the worst of all. Um, as her nose has been deteriorated, he can see almost right up into her sinal, uh, sinus cavity. And, and he, he says when he sees this woman starting to approach them, his first reaction is to think, ah, here's another beggar coming up to the rich Americans. But then as uh, she comes up to them, he, he says that his wife, Janet, who has much more in tune with God than he is, she bends down next to this woman and puts her arm around her. And, and, and he says that this woman uh, leans her head against his wife's chest and begins to sing and to, to hum the tune to uh, Jesus loves me. Now later, the tour guide who was with him had said that this woman who lives in a nation of mostly Hindu and Buddhist people is one of the most committed Christians that they know and is, is somebody that, that is a real prayer warrior. And whenever there's, there's people who are visiting the hospital, she always makes it a point to practice hospitality because this is what Jesus does and he extends hospitality to people. And, and so Philip took a, a picture of this woman and, and reflecting on this experience with her, this is what he writes about her. He says, whenever I feel polluted by the beauty-obsessed celebrity culture I live in, a culture in which people pay exorbitant sums to achieve some impossible ideal of beauty, while others die from lack of treatment and lack of hospitals like green pastures. I pull out that photo. And then he says this, I see, I see two beautiful women, my wife smiling sweetly, holding in her arms an old crone who would flunk any beauty test ever devised except the one that matters most. And out of that deformed, hollow shell of a body, the light of God's presence shines. So what did the Lord say to Samuel? He said, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is how the kingdom of God works. To live within the kingdom of God then means that we have to develop eyes to see a world in very different terms than than the world teaches us to, that the kingdom of God is to see others in, in, in ways that uh, is through the lens of grace and mercy, it's possibilities and, and, and not just limitations and not just the judgments that the world would give, but to live within the kingdom of God is, is on one hand to, to learn to see others in this, in this way that God would see them as well. But it also means, on the other side, it also means that we have to learn to see ourselves 
through the lens of the kingdom of God as well. To begin to see ourselves, uh, to develop eyes to see ourselves differently as God would see us and not just as the world would see us or how we would want the world to see us. So I can't help but wonder what this experience of David must have done to him. I mean, out of the blue, the prophet Samuel shows up and, and he, he finds this boy who's so unlikely as a leader, he's not invited to the party in this backwards town to this nobody family, and he gets anointed in this secret ceremony to be the king of Israel, all because, as the, as the prophet explains to him, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so I, I can't help but wonder, what does this do to a person like David to have this experience where you're elevated to this place of honor and leadership because the Lord knows you so well and is with you. Like, what does that do to somebody? I can't help but wonder how that impacts him. And the awesome thing about David's life is that we kind of know how it impacts him. Because along with the story of David's life in the Bible from 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we also have David's prayer journal. It's the longest book in the Bible. It's called the Psalms. And, and so many of these prayers or poems or songs were written uh, reflecting on different things that were happening in David's life. And sometimes these Psalms are directly linked to things that took place in David's life. And, and uh, this is a bit speculative because I, th there's not a Psalm that's directly linked to this particular thing that happened to him. Like there's not a Psalm in the Bible where it's like, hey, remember that time Saul, Samuel showed up out of nowhere and anointed me in a secret, king, a secret ceremony to be king? Like there's none of that. So it's a bit speculative, but there is a psalm that is written that is so much about the presence of God in my life, that he knows me in such intimate detail, that this could have only been written by somebody who's had this kind of experience that David had. It's a beautiful psalm. It's a famous psalm. It's Psalm 139. I want to read through some of it with you. As you, as you hear the, the thoughts and the prayers expressed, the praise of God expressed of somebody who's had this kind of experience where they've come to understand that the Lord is with them and knows them in intimate detail. Here's what David writes in Psalm 139. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. I love how this starts because we start by celebrating how God knows everything. We talk about how God is omniscient. God knows all things. And in this case, we think about how God knows all of the stars and all of the distant galaxies and all of the mysteries of the universe, but also he knows us. He knows me. He knows you. Like that you know me is what we're celebrating here. And this word knows, it's, it's translated from a Hebrew word yada, which by the way is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter four, verse one, when the Bible says that Adam uh, knew his wife Eve and she conceived. So for the Lord to know us is, is not like we're passing acquaintances. It's not like uh, we're familiar with one another. No, 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 no. It's like the Lord knows us like a husband knows his wife, like a wife knows her husband, like, like the Lord knows us in intimate detail. He knows who we are. In fact, seven times through this psalm, we're going to read this word knows, this, this Hebrew word yada, because God really, truly knows us. Verse two, you know when I sit and when I rise, you know the smallest things about me. You perceive my thoughts from afar, so you know what's on the inside. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Like, like the Lord knows our thoughts before we even have our thoughts. 
He, he knows the words we're going to say before we even say them. Like every word, every thought, every action, the Lord knows it all. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will guide me, hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. So it's like, I may leave the faithful path and I certainly do at times, but even when I leave the faithful path, the Lord doesn't leave us. He, he's still with us. He knows everything I do. He knows every thought that I have. He knows every inclination, every word that I speak. And this might sound really, really obvious to point this out, that the Lord knows everything about us, everything. But, but however obvious that might be, in reality, this is a truth that humanity has struggled with for as long as there have been humans. I mean, the first family, Adam and Eve, what did they do after they ate of the apple that was forbidden from them? Do you remember what they did? They hid in the garden as if that's possible to do, to hide from the Lord's presence. And as silly as that sounds, that's still what people do, is we hide from the Lord's presence. We may not go off into the woods to hide from the Lord, but, but we, we keep things buried deep down in our lives. We put on smiles. We try to make things look good on the outside to try to make our lives look better than they really are sometimes. And when in reality, behind closed doors, things can be a mess. And yet the Lord knows all of these things, yet we go through so much effort sometimes to hide them. I think about this, like, I can't tell you how many like Bible study classes I've been in or Sunday school classes I've been in where at the end of the time it comes for us to share prayer requests, which is a pretty normal thing to do in a small group setting. We're sharing prayer requests. I can't tell you how many times um, I've I've been in that Bible study class or Sunday school and it comes time for a prayer requests and someone raises their hands and said, I just need you to pray for me because I've I'm, I'm really lonely these days. Or I, I need you to pray with me because I've been drinking too much. I need you to pray with me because my, my marriage, I mean, we are, we're on our last straw. I need you to pray with me because, because I'm, I'm depressed. I can't tell you how many times it's happened because like that never happens. <laughs> That's not what people do. Instead, you know what happens in those kinds of settings? We're like, hey, I need you to pray for my aunt's cousin's sister who's going through this thing. And it's like we bring up all these other things going on, sometimes not even directly related to us. But in reality, there are things happening in our own life that we keep buried, that we don't bring up before the Lord, that we don't bring up before the people of God who want to support us and help us and love us and pray for us. And instead, we just we keep these things buried because we spend so much energy not dealing with what's really happening. But listen, the Lord knows. He knows. He cares about you. He knows every detail about you. And, and, and there's nothing, nothing, nothing that you can hide from him. He knows. It's not just that the Lord knows. It's also that he cares. He cares about these things because you are precious to him. Here's how it keeps going. Verse 13, David writes, For you created my inmost being, who I am at the core. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was in, made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, you saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. 
How vast is the sum of them? And some translations would say it like this. How precious are your thoughts about me? How, how many times and how much time do you spend thinking about me, Lord? This is really what that's saying. Because verse 18, where I had to count them, that is where I had to count all the thoughts that the Lord has about me, they would outnumber the grains of the sands. When I awake, I'm with you. I'm still with you. So what does David learn when Samuel shows up out of nowhere and the eighth son of Jesse is chosen to be king because while man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart? Well, David learns that the Lord knows him so well that there's nothing to hide and that there's nowhere to hide and that there's no reason to hide. The Lord knows him so well, it, it means that God is actively involved in his life. And if this is true for David, it's true for me, and it's true for you. That this is how the Lord is, and that he cares about us, and he's active, and he's involved in our lives, and he truly knows us. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this to kind of sum up Psalm 139. He writes these words, I think this is so wise. He says, Psalm 139 warns us against, listen to this word, that practical atheism which ignores the presence of God and so makes shipwreck of the soul. You see, practical atheism is when we believe in God, but we don't live as if God is actually active in our life. It's a, it's a way you may believe that God is true, but you don't, you don't live as if God's presence is, is involved in your day-to-day -day living. And so part of living within the kingdom of God is coming to, to terms to see that the Lord is active in people's lives around us. And so we begin to see others through this lens of the kingdom of God. We begin to see possibilities and grace and mercy in other people because we're gonna see them as God sees them. But it also means we see ourselves in the same way, that we see God's activity, that we see God's look, at, when he looks at us, we, we come to understand that what he sees within us is he doesn't see all of the problems and failures and things that we keep hidden. Instead, when he looks at us, what he sees is a beloved child of God, so loved that he would give everything, even his own son, for us to have the gift of life eternal. This is what God sees. And if this is true, if this is how God sees us and he's involved in our lives and he knows us like this, then that means that there is nothing that we can hide, that there's nowhere that we can hide, and there's no reason we should hide because the Lord knows us so well. Let's pray together. And so Father, today we hear the story of David and uh, how you took this eighth son of Jesse out of nowhere because the kingdom of God doesn't work like we think it works. We don't, it doesn't work like the world works. The, the kingdom of God, we need to have eyes to see things in a different kind of way. But the truth is we live more often like the world where we try to make ourselves look better. We try to impress you. We try to impress other people. We spend tremendous amounts of energy pursuing beauty and outward appearances of wealth and power because we think this is what is gonna uh, make us happy and, and whole and well if, if we can just impress others and impress you. But the reality is, Lord, you know us. And the only opinion in the whole universe that matters is that you love us. You call us your children and you invite us into a relationship where you know absolutely everything about us. And so instead of hiding from you, we want to bring our, ourselves before you. We want to ask you to search us, to know us, to, to bring us into the light, because in this way, we are going to find true life. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice given to us that gives us life everlasting. For anyone who's with us today who doesn't know this hope of Jesus, we just want to offer a simple prayer. 
Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? We thank you. We ask you, help us to develop eyes to see others and ourselves according to the kingdom of God. Because man might look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us in worship today. So glad to have you. Um, and a big thank you, too, to all those who helped us worship, with those who are behind the scenes, with Alec and our production crew back there, to Stella for sharing announcements with us, for our worship team, for Spencer for that, that sermon on the life of David and kicking things off. Thank you so much to all those who helped us worship together today. You would help us out if you take a moment and you liked and shared this this experience with someone else in your world. If you liked it, and then, you know, on the little thumbs up thing, give us that. And then if you take a moment, and we all know somebody who needs encouragement. So take a moment and we encourage you just to share this with somebody else who would be encouraged today. Can't wait for next week. We look forward to seeing you for week number two on the life of David. I think it's David and Goliath. So it should be a grand old time rocking out. See you soon.
Surely mercy, right beside.